Great question. The Manufacturing Podcast offers news and information for the people who make, store, and move things, and those who manage and maintain the facilities where that work gets done. Welcome to a new episode of Great Question, a Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Endeavor Business Media's Manufacturing Group. I'm Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor on Plant Services, and today's big question is, how has the skill set for reliability and maintenance engineers changed over the past 10 years? Additionally, what are the table stakes skills for current professionals to succeed on their jobs? And for this conversation, I'm joined by Luke Clark, a reliability professional and senior program manager for HECO Apollo, who identifies reliability value for clients by utilizing vibration analysis and IoT technology. And we covered a lot of ground in our conversation. We'll get right to it, starting with the issue of how skill sets have changed for millwrights and reliability professionals. The first topic I want to talk about, Luke, is the way that the core skill sets of the average plant millwright specifically have changed over the past 10 or so years. And to narrow it down, we're talking really mechanical millwrights versus electrical. I know electrical is very much its own thing. Um, but you've seen a lot of change in the industry. You, you come into contact with a, a wide variety of customers. What kind of changes have you seen in the expectations of that kind of skill set for the average plant millwright? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it revolves around technology. What, what we've seen for for the average millwright, the average maintenance technician, whatever title you want to want to say, is that it's it's shifted away from simply being expected to be able to be mechanical to to understand the the equipment that you're working on but also to be part of the greater system and i, I think all of us have dealt with that no matter what role it is where you know we're right now we're having a conversation on microsoft teams uh i, I think i think what we've seen is just that expectation that you're, you're you're not just a maintenance tech that goes out and works on equipment and gets the equipment up and running and then and then you go back to the office and wait for the next call or the next work order right now, now it's well. We have technology. We have data. We have our CMS. We have IoT devices, and that's all part of our ecosystem. And we have to make decisions based off of it. And we have to know how to use that technology. And we know have to know how to look at the data and understand and 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 actual make decisions around it. And so that expectation from our mill rights is that you're able to utilize that technology in some way, shape, or form. And so. So I think that's changed over the years, and 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 I, I think the biggest change that that's had is that in the past we would see a millwright um, or a technician be in a role and be in that same role for 10, 20, 30 years. And I, what I think I've seen we've cha- seen change in the workforce um, in that regard is upward mobility. Um, so so now now they're more involved with decision making, more involved with the technologies. And the ones that really shine in those categories and and move up, all of a sudden they have managerial uh, uh, expectations, right? And so right. we've seen a lot of movement, um, and I think that's been one of our challenges for keeping people in in roles is that uh, we we make people promotable by that. We actually make them their 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 skill sets more varied, and they're not expected to just be someone that's mechanical. They're expected to be um, a wide set of of uh, skill sets. So people tend to move on. Interesting. There, there's a couple of follow-ups I wanted to ask about that answer you just gave, which is a really terrific analysis of this of what's going on out there. Uh, the first one would be: Would you characterize this change as being specifically on the journeyman level, with a with a certain level of experience, or would this apply to apprentices too? That 
that things can change quickly based in and that people have to have all that whole systems awareness, like you said. I would say both. Um, I, I would say at this point, a lot of the journeymen have, you know, they, they integrate with the technology, but but for them, they they tend to be the ones that that have that mechanical experience. So they're the ones that kind of stay in that role. Uh, I think the the, cha- the biggest challenge has been the entry level because right off the mm-hmm. bat, we're teaching them technology. And so they they learn the the full business outside of just the mechanical aspect. So, you know, look at it this way. You get an entry level uh, employee. You train them on the technologies, the processes. They're very involved with meetings to, to think of planning and scheduling meetings and so on. And, and they're they're very involved with the business side of of of, of what you do. Um, and then also you teach them the mechanical side, and then you look down the road five, ten years later, and all of a sudden they're they're a very valuable asset to your company, or they're very valuable to another company, and 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 they get they get poached and they get into managerial roles, and so it's hard to keep someone in that millwright role for as long as we used to. Um, right. So I, I think the change we've seen are, is the entry level for the mo- most part because they're very different employees than what we did 20, 30 years ago. No, that's I, I appreciate the answer, and I'm curious to know. You mentioned promotability is is one of the factors these days. Would you say that promotability is linked primarily to say years of experience in the job or or experience on specific assets? Do certifications come into play where say someone eventually earns a a CMRP or a CRL, and then that's or or, or an MLT or vibration level one and two, and and that's the way forward. It's a combination of those things. Um, certainly, that helps when when you can get the certifications. You can show, you know, the the progress that you've made. However, I think oftentimes it's it's uh, the role that you play with. It. Oftentimes, it's a it's a specific tool, right? So, um, you know, in the CMMS world, we see oftentimes where someone was very crucial to uh, CMMS implementation. And they became a, a key member of of an implementation or upgrade or whatever it is, and and they were recruited for that, and they showed a lot of potential, and then they gained great experience, and then next thing you know, it's like, wow, this guy's kind of a an expert at this, you know, and so that I, I, oftentimes it's it's when they latch onto a big project, mm-hmm. and then they they kind of shine in that project, and that 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 either gives them opportunity to be promoted internally or or exter- externally they find another job but um but yeah. that's that's oftentimes where you see them get latched onto these major projects which you know kind of speaks to where we are as as um, uh, an industry too because we have a lot of major corporations as well and mm-hmm. so that that's also changed the game um where we have less small local manufacturers we have very large corporate structures um, so there's more opportunity to be involved with very large projects. You can say, well, hey, I was part of a $15 million project where we did this, this and that. And here was my role and, and so on. And you can speak um, to a much larger level to get yourself more promotable to to move on to, to whatever your goals are. And so um, there's there's opportunities for movement also within just these these large companies that, that we're dealing with on a day to day basis. Yeah, you're reminding me, even, even on the media side, Luke, we had a guy who was our one of our art designers for the print version of the magazine, and he got into web development to such a degree that now he's a full-time web developer for uh, the media company. And, just yeah. made that, and that was through contact with the IT and web team uh, for large projects. Yeah, right time, right place, and, and there's lots of opportunities to shine. So I think there's a lot of opportunities with these large companies, and that happens a lot. 
Well, moving into the next type of role at the plant, I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you about the role where a lot of people find themselves promoted into uh, from Mel Wrights, which is reliability manager. And and there, of course, there's formalized training to be a reliability manager, but a lot of heard just as many stories where someone gets promoted into that role based on yeah. their their progress. So what's your sense of how the core skill set or toolbox of the average reliability managers have changed over the past 10 years? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a similar answer to that because of the technology and and the expectations have have changed, right? So that that the same pressures are on our reliability managers as well, but but now you're shifting it more to a decision maker. And so as a decision maker, you have to have a good understanding of not only your equipment but the products that you're going to be bringing within your your facility. And so. Um, you may not be certified vibration analyst as a reliability manager, but you you should have a good understanding of what vibration analysis is, then mm -hmm. the the benefits of it, and um, you know what what you're going to use that data for. Uh, and so so if you bring on an IoT device like like we work with for the sensors, uh, the, the benefits that you're going to get out of it are going to be exponentially higher if you have a reliability manager that understands those benefits in the first place and isn't buying a product just for the sake of a product. So, um, so there's there's more pressure there to 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 have that understanding of technologies and 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 keep up with the 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 um, uh, the market today, and and so it's not just about the equipment because in the past reliability manager it was you were more focused on your equipment you were focused on the people that you were working with and and uh, you know you you would do some internal data analysis but now there's external forces that. You're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to deal with the new technologies and the new devices that are coming in, and and you're going to have to make the right decisions because what we've seen many times over and over is spending a lot of money on a project of tech, whether it's a new technology device, a new process, whatever it is, and it be a complete failure. And so, for our reliability managers, it's it's being able to to manage all these these um, external forces and 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 new implementations all at once. Interesting. Yeah. That, Used to be the plant manager was the primary influencer of the plant engineer, and and now I get the sense, in many ways, a reliability manager, reliability engineer has just as much influence when it comes to specifying these new technologies. Part of that is the maintenance technology world. I'm going to use new new and quotey fingers um, because it's not new as as we all know. There's a lot of there's been many technologies around for a long time. Um, in this this industry, but for for many companies, it's the first time that they've really invested in maintenance and reliability, uh, at least to this extent. And so, oftentimes, that buck gets passed down to our reliability managers because they understand the business a little bit better. Um, and so, the plant managers will lean on these individuals to say, "Okay, I, I understand there's benefit out of you know getting this kind of sensor or this kind of camera." Um, but what does that mean and what do we get out of that? And so those are the kind of pressures. And again, going back to what we spoke with with the millwrights is that mm -hmm. it's this more co corporate uh, approach where everyone's part of the the fabric of the company and in the decision making. And so um, there, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of decision making for the reliability manager when it comes to these these new technologies that are oftentimes lean on them now depends company by company and some companies don't have reliability managers at all <laughs> um <laughs> so um so it really depends but um but yeah that that decision making they have to have a good understanding of, of you know what does this mean and how would this benefit them yeah you put your finger on something important i think which is the extent to which a lot of companies when they enter reliability investments for the first time 
go through the reliability manager role. And so that person needs to be aware of change management issues, really working with everybody yep. on the team to to get through this first time, first scary time, however you want to treat it, uh, the, the first prove it out moment for this new technology. That That's a very different dynamic than, say, five years experience with reliability in general when you've got some proven successes. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, um, yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of different factors that come into play for for what a reliability manager is. You know, I often get asked, you know, you know what what is what is a reliability manager and it's like really depends what company you go to some were wearing 12 <laughs> different hats and some <laughs> some are very clearly defined but um right. they oftentimes they're the person that gets a lot of things thrown in their bucket um, because no one else knows what to do with them well let's move to a technology question and i'm really excited to talk to you specifically luke because your role at hico involves iot technology front and center and it, it's a simple direct question. What kinds of industry 4.0 technologies or IIoT technologies do you consider to be table stakes for current maintenance and reliability professionals? What, what, should people, what do people really need to know to succeed? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, and I'll, I'll go with some personal bias here, but but the sensors are, are um, uh, a major factor right now because what we're running into is, you know, the sensors have been around for a long time and, and for um, for context, minor, minor vibration sensors, but there's many different kinds of sensors. So I'll keep it broad because there's many different reasons why you'd get a sensor. But um, but what we've found is is um, is that these sensors, the technology's grown to the point, especially battery technology, where we're able to to have these remote uh, sensors out there that that we can have them where we literally what we've always dreamed of, where we can put a sensor out there and, and forget about it. We're getting much closer to that and so companies more and more are starting to implement that kind of technology even ones that are in very remote locations cellular cellular technology is getting better um and so we're starting to be able to utilize these sensors in ways that we never were you know, five ten years ago even um and so that one's really pushing forward because that's also allowing us to feed data up to say an ai um, which I would probably put as number two is that we could start utilizing AI because when we start to put these sensors on, we have remote data being fed up, live data even being fed up to to AI, and then AI could start making decision making. So, you know, I'd say my second one would be AI because we're starting okay. to pull in so much data, and that's why I'm kind of combining these two because the the pros and cons of sensors are how much data that is, is being brought in, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's so much data we don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, or we don't have the people to deal with it. And that's where AI is starting to come and play. Our 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 uh, platform uses the AI machine learning uh, basis for for our analysis. And then there's there's other technologies that are coming out there. So we're starting to get to this point where we have data. We have lots of data, but we don't know what to do with it. And we don't know what's valuable, what's not. And that's where AI is really starting to come into play is that we're, um, we're starting to analyze, uh, analyze massive, massive amounts of, of data. And um, so, so AI comes into play there. And then one other one that that I would I would mention um, is uh, cameras are, are really uh, coming into play too. Um, uh, our friends over at RDI would do the motion amplification that that they they just got another one that's that's going to be mounted, um, and I think that's really coming into play because especially what I see with the, with the sensors and AI is the one thing we miss is 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 true visibility. Um, you know, can we just look at the piece of equipment? And obviously, if you're using motion amplification, then you can get a lot, a lot of other inputs in there as, as far as, you know, vibration and, and the movement of the equipment. 
Um, how, however, th this this will give us true full view because you know what we go after is is we have um, uh, highly certified technicians and and when we do our remote. The idea is that we have our technicians from anywhere can look at our, our um, clients equipment and, and work on it. And that's the idea, right? Even internally, you could do that. The idea is that you don't have to have someone on site at all times looking at that piece of equipment. And so we're starting to get these cameras that are really tied into the IoT um, network and they can they can send up data and you can get different different uh, types of analysis, such as motion amplification. Um, and that's starting to really piece it all together. So between sensors, AI and cameras, I mean, we're really getting to that, that, that point in time where we can actually look at a piece of equipment, we can analyze it in multiple different ways. And then we can also take that data and, and push it through AI or machine learning and, uh, and make some, some actual educated decisions from it. So that's, that's the shift that we're seeing in our, our current IoT sphere, <laughs> with lack of a better term. That, I appreciate you mapping out those three areas. Uh, it's amazing how quickly cameras, especially, have caught on. I, I, I echo what you're saying there. Not, nothing like a visual to convince somebody to get take some action. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and, and that's that's the, the the nice benefit of the cameras too. Is just it's it's so visual, right? It's it, anyone can look at a camera and 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 visually see an issue, and that's why I like the motion amplification technology. Is you know if if something's off balance, you don't even have to be um mechanically minded to see okay that motor is bouncing back and forth right and so right um so you're really utilizing all the senses that are natural to us as humans <laughs> to, to analyze and, and it's becoming very very intuitive when it comes to industry verticals or sectors which are adopting these newer technologies uh iot slash ai in your experience are there any that are quicker than others to embrace these, or is it sort of a general slow adoption across the board? It, I mean, it can vary company by company, but if if I were to say any industries that that really jump on on these kind of technologies quicker, they're either ones that are um, heavily audited, or they are ones that are entirely dependent on uptime. Um, so, two examples of that: uh, life sciences, pharmaceutical. Uh, they tend to be on the leading edge for technology um, because they they get audited. They have their data that that needs to be in a specific way at a specific time, and to survive those audits, they need to be able to to show their process. So they are very much in the standardization. Now, what's the 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 funny uh, um, drawback to that is that they also once they get their technologies, <laughs> they they've got them set in stone, right? So you got to make sure you really convince them with the new technologies. Um, but they're very standard, right? And so they need they need that process. And so so they are usually highly advanced when you walk into one of those facilities and they have the the, the leading edge technology to um, standardize their process. Another one that we've seen a, a lot of um, gain on when it comes to IoT devices is um, is power industry um, because they are measured entirely by uptime. Um, where they're, they aren't sending out a product and they, they don't have time to catch up. Whenever they're down, they're down and, and whatever they lost is in the past. And so for them to be able to constantly monitor, the, monitor, monitor their equipment, um, that, that's crucial for them. And they see the benefit instantly um, because that, that their entire measurement is based on how often they're up and running. So, um, so those are two that we've seen that are really common. There's some other ones, like I said, there's some variants uh, company by company. Um, some of the oil gas companies have, have really implemented a lot of the new technologies, especially when we talk about remote use. Um, they have some very remote locations. 
uh, minds have been utilizing. They're one of the ones that have been leading with uh, mm. uh, the, the robots like Spot with, with Boston Dynamics. You know, that they, they, they are uh, um, uh, they have safety issues. Right. So so they, they have reason to go after technology, too. So it's case by case. There's different use cases. But um, but yeah, I, I would say highly regulated or, or if you're entirely uh, judged by uptime, then that's that's one of the leading ones as well. OK, cool. Well, the last two questions are more people-focused questions, um, and the so we'll tackle the first one. When you touched on what happens when these new technologies are introduced a little bit earlier, Luke, um, are there any specific members of the wider teams that you find are the one driving the projects? And and does it make a difference, for example, if the technology is hardware or software, like like maybe IT would be in charge of software? But I, I guess I'm thinking more of the more of the maintenance and reliability staff, if there's any anyone in, in, in those asset management roles, which are the ones driving these things? Yeah, it really depends on the technology. Um, and so I, I, you know, I would say when it comes to, to sensor and you're very equipment focused, the, mm-hmm. when it comes to sensors, oftentimes it's the reliability manager, it's the maintenance supervisors, it's maybe, maybe if they have a director of reliability, it's, it's whoever's very tied to the equipment. Uh, we often see that that those are the ones that are driving for uh, sensor-based technology or or are getting some kind of analysis on the equipment. Uh, however, some of the larger projects, say an AI project or a CMS or something that would be corporate-wide, which could be sensors as well, but not always, um, would oftentimes be VP or director level, um, depending on how their structure is. So. Uh, it depends on on what what kind of technology we're talking about. But again, what we find oftentimes with the maintenance reliability field is tends to be that the people that have the knowledge for maintenance reliability rely in the reliability manager type roles. Um, and so oftentimes they are the driving force. And and uh, and that's that's typically what we run into when it comes to these kind of technologies. Now, if you get a VP or a director that's that's you know been doing their homework and they understand what they want to do or they've been speaking with their team, you can catch them at the right time. But yeah. um, but oftentimes companies are driven from that maintenance group, which is unfortunate. That's it's slowly changing, and we're seeing that less and less now. But um, but there there are a lot of there is still that culture where it, the maintenance group does maintenance things and everyone else does production or or uh, supply chain or so on. And it's very separated where really it should be integrated and and we should be speaking holistically. So, yeah, you reminded me of the conversation we had in December where I noticed that one role was now hybrid operations and maintenance. And it was it was just yep. tough to fill. Yep. It is. It is. Yeah. It's there's there's not many people that have truly sat in that kind of role. And uh, it's unfortunate because decision making wise, they should be considering all all uh, uh, facets of the business, including maintenance reliability. Okay. well, last question is on the general skills gap and hiring challenges in our market. And instead of trying to solve the entire problem all at once, I'll frame it like this. What do you think are one or two things that make a strong impact in alleviating the kind of challenges related with hiring? these days yeah so you know one of the obvious challenges this industry has is you know what everyone talks about when it comes to work these days is remote work you know you you can either be remote you could be at work at home whatever it is well one of the challenges we run into is well you we've found no way so far to do that for a mill rider or maintenance technician is that we're going to always have somebody that needs to be on call on site 
available, ready to go, because sometimes equipment goes down in the middle of the night and we need to get it up and running. Um, so that's always been a challenge because right now there's just that expectation that we well, we, we could jump on Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever and have, have a discussion. Um, so, so we need to focus on the things that we can control because we can't control that at this moment. And uh, I, I think one impact that we can have and, you know, people talk about often, you know, pay or benefits and all that. And, and mm-hmm. the reality is there's always going to be somebody willing to pay more. Now, mm-hmm. I strongly recommend that you pay within market price because that that could be something that's impacting you. But I, I think oftentimes what keeps employees in this business is I would say it's more investment. And, and what I mean by that is is investing in your employees um, w- when that means training that means safety that that includes um, certifications uh, you know send them to a conference you know get them involved and and invest in in those individuals and and what that's going to do is it's going to do two things for your company one it's going to get your people trained it's going to show that that you find what they do important and that you're willing to invest some money in them actually learning and bettering themselves and then two if those people leave and this is part of your culture, you're just going to continuously do that because th- here's the reality. And this is why I don't focus too much on pay um, it, is, is because there's always going to be that person that's going to pay more. We, we, we even as a service provider, we run into this all the time where you you uh, you get someone up to cat three vibration analysts. Right. And we invested all this time in them and then they get hired by somebody else that's willing to pay them more. It happens to us uh, all the time, and I know it happens to to our clients as well. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality: if you decide to invest in training, and you're constantly bringing people up, and and you're focusing on that that mindset that we're investing on in you, and we're actually um, uh, uh, invested in the job that you're doing, that's going to keep people around, or at the very least, the people that come in are going to be well trained, ready to go, and you're not going to skip a beat. And so, I think that makes a big difference for this kind of job because. Reality is it's a tough job. You're going to be asking people to, to have some hard hours. They're going to they're going to have to do things that that none of us want to do. Um, so so show that you care, show some investment and and make those people um, see this as a career versus just a job. No, I like how you tied it up at the very end there by saying, hey, you know, this is a hard job. And so the best way to keep someone if you've invested in them is to keep investing in them. And as you said, make sure they know they're appreciated and that the sacrifices are 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 seen and 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 appreciated. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I mean, and and I think what people learn is, and even when you get younger people into this this uh, industry, is that it's it, it's it, it's an industry with a lot of pride, and and when people do get involved with it, people tend to stay. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not a career a career that people leave very often. I mean, if you go to these conferences, and I know you have Tom, it's a lot of the same people over and over because people tend to stay, and it's a good career. Um, right. But getting people in and staying, because the the flip side of that is that since it is a hard job, it can be a very miserable job too. And I've been mm-hmm. to some of those sites where it's just like you know these people are working crazy hours and they're just not getting any benefits from it and they're not getting extra pay they're not getting you know the christmas ham whatever it is and it's just it's it's a miserable job so it's very easy to make this job miserable but i i I highly encourage people to find every way to invest in those employees and show them that that you care and that that extra work is actually going somewhere and, and will lead them somewhere and you somewhere